the opening film is Witchfinder General. It's a favourite of yeah. mine, and uh, yeah. a favourite of yours as well. I've, I've yeah. got your 100 horror books you wrote with Mr. Marriott. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading it before he came out. Could you give us a little bit of an intro for those that don't know where to Witchfinder General? Well, Witchfinder General or Matthew Hopkins Witchfinder General. Oh, that? sorry, Matthew Hopkins Witchfinder General. <laughs> True. All the others. But no, it's uh, a 1968 film about the uh, English Civil War um, and the historical character of Matthew Hopkins, who uh, was the, the the witch finder. He went around uh, hanging witches uh, for money. Uh, a very sort of. Um, it, it's a complicated time in in sort of religious and political terms. Uh, he seems to have been basically. Um, a, Mm. He wasn't, I think, genuinely concerned with uh, with witchcraft. <laughs> he didn't seem to be afraid of it at all. Um, and the film is, is, I suppose it's a it's a British western. I mean, it's uh, men on horses riding across the landscape, and a bad guy who does something terrible, and a and a hero who who rides out for revenge. Um, and it ends up in a uh, quite strikingly uh, violent. One of the things about um, folk horror is it seems to be full of people being done in, done in with axes and sides and agricultural implements <laughs> um, there's a, a, a tiny little thing uh, there's, a, there's a safety film in the 70s called Apaches about children uh, being warned against playing with farm implements and you know falling under tractors and into slurry and stuff and it seems to be folk horror is all about that it's all about how dangerous the farm is or the countryside is yeah, I remember all those 70s uh, ads about yeah. how to wander around the farm and not get killed. That's right, yeah. But that seems to me, this is what folk horror is all about. It's, it's, it's all about falling in a threshing machine, isn't it? it oh, exactly. But it, it's interesting that um, I, I was reading that uh, it wasn't, uh, Vincent Price wasn't the initial uh, choice no, for the Michael lead there. Reeves, the director, wanted Donald Pleasance. Um, and I think it was a bit annoyed that he got Vincent Price, who is obviously a much more commanding presence, but also, well, not British for a start, and somebody who um, was sort of associated with a, a slightly camp type of horror, which is not what um, we tried to general wanted to be. Although, and they famously didn't get on on the, the set. But actually, I think Price is very good. I mean, I, I think he, he sort of, he can tone it down and be scary and this is one of the, the few sort of latter day films in which he eats uh, yeah, he doesn't smirk um, <laughs> and he's surrounded by I, I think a yeah, really interesting sort of British cast it would have been interesting to see Mr Pleasance though I think it would have been a fascinating film as well yeah it would be the, I think then Hopkins would have been a sort of more um, pathetic character uh, yeah uh, a sort of slightly inept but yeah sort of managing um, evil surrounded by bigger things whereas Vincent Price literally towers over everybody in the film yeah which is what he did in most films around that time and after it's interesting yeah. that no one ever made any um, comparisons to the, uh, Henry Miller with this film because it's so full yeah. on yeah <laughs> um, Reeves though was an interesting filmmaker he was 25 when he made that it would yeah, be... that's right. and died very shortly thereafter um, he, he features uh, and everyone sort of 
major British filmmaker. Or, although he could also have been a kind of a flash in the pan. You know, so there is a sense of, there's a kind of mythology about him. He's a sort of um, film equivalent of those, you know, uh, rock stars of the 60s, like uh, Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin, who didn't last long enough for us to really know what their their long-term career might have been like. But there's something sort of, uh, yeah, there are, there are all kinds of stories and, and myths around him. And I think that is mostly because of his, his short life. And he kind of went out with a bang with a quite a critically acclaimed film by the end of oh, it, yeah, the 70s. Fact, this was a, a film that, that people did argue about then. It was controversial at the time. Um, and for a long time it was kind of hard to see. And I'm glad that in, in recent years it's been reassessed as a sort of major British film. Yeah, um, I suppose someone who seems to have taken up the mantle and has kind of delved into that territory and Wicker Man territory, though he hates to be marked as that, is Mr. Wheatley. Uh, what do you think yeah. of his taking up the mantle on that kind of oh, filmmaking? I, I, I like Ben's work a, a lot. I, I think he's, he's got, you know, he has a, a tougher job in a way than uh, the filmmakers of the 60s do, in that he he knows he's working in a tradition. Um, whereas I think Michael Reeves actually didn't. He, made, he, he sort of made a tradition. Mm. He thought he was just going to, you know, basically, I think his idea was to make something British that was like a Western. Um, and I think that various other people who made films that sort of fit into this thing, it's, it's like even um, yeah, The Wicker Man or Blood on Satan's Claw, I can see what inspired their film, directors and writers to, to create them. But they were doing it out of, the, out of whole cloth. Whereas Ben comes along all these years later and, there, and there's this sort of great body of work that he has to stand on top of and differentiate himself from. Um, and, yeah, and, and so it's, it's harder sometimes to be within a tradition than to, to make it up. And, and he does have his own very distinct identity. Gone, gone away and done a field in England is very unlike anything True. that you would have got from the, the 70s Kill List is a much more sort of uh, a film that's much easier to fit into a particular set of 1970s traditions um, it's a little like The Wicker Man in the The Wicker Man everybody forgets but it also starts as a cop you know crime type movie and then turns into a horror film in the way that uh, The Kill List does. Mm. Um, but, uh, but even so, I think it, it's, uh, yeah, I think Ben Whitley is, is much more of a, a personal artist, filmmaker, than somebody who is uh, working in a tradition or an industry or a genre. It may be because we don't have you know, the sort of mass production that there was around the, the 60s and 70s. It's very hard to get a group of films or filmmakers together. Uh, I think if you're looking for a British filmmaker who's like uh, the, the, the people who made the, these movies in the 60s and 70s, Neil Marshall is probably a bit closer. He's much more of a straight-up genre guy. Uh, and he also has a great feel for landscape and narrative so, um, Wicker Man, again, another wonderful film. That, I mean, I take it the, the version we're going to see this weekend... I have no idea which version. I've it's one of those films I don't think I've ever seen the same version twice. <laughs> <laughs> I, ass 
assume it's what they call the director's cut. But the thing is, I think there are several different versions of that. Um, and after having watched all of them, I've, I've come round to the, the embarrassing realisation that I like the studio's version best. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the shortest version, isn't it? Yeah. What, what is the, the main difference in, in the studio um, version? The, the longer version is just longer. There's more sort of wandering around and talking. I think the, the thing is that it's a, it's a film built around a twist ending that now everybody knows. Yes, yes. So, therefore, the longer version just seems a bit more drawn out. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the studio cut really moves. I mean, and I, I, I think that also, I mean, it's, it's um, the, the, the editing on it is actually brilliant. Uh, the, the, I think that when Robin Hardy got his hands back on it, I think he was a less um, insightful editor of his own material than uh, the, the studio's choices. Uh, I also think that, some, that a lot of it has to do with uh, Anthony Schaffer's script as well. I think I think is, is now rather underrated. Uh, it's a very very sharp um, and well constructed piece. Yes, and I, and as Hardy kind of in a very late in life suddenly was talking sequels and trilogies, mm. and I haven't I seen make a sequel. Yeah, yeah it, it's called a spiritual sequel. I don't know anything about it. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. It's not that great. It's interesting. I mean, it's like a footnote. I think it's not in this season, which is uh, But the other, the, the the other film he made, which is kind of interesting, is the Fantasist, which is the only Irish entry in yes. that Italian yellow thriller style. Yeah, it's like I'm surprised that isn't better known. Since now people are, yeah, are, are much, yeah, more people are very interested in that particular style of filmmaking. I'm, tra- I'm trying to remember who's in that. I saw it once a long time ago when I was too young to have seen it. And it's very hard to find, actually. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's around much at all at the moment. But yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, it's... Uh, is it Christopher Casanova is the villain? <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, it's a... Uh, I haven't seen it since it came out either. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange one, all right. Um, but Hardy was always a very mixed filmmaker in terms of his material. Well, didn't make that much. I mean, I think it's only three or four features. Um, I, I, yeah, and I think that it's yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to to consider the the Wicker Man as a film by Anthony Schaffer, as much, which I said, I think what it actually says in the credits. Um, as, as a film by Robin Hardy. Um, so you're doing the intro for which final general and Wicker Man? I think they're the only yep. two films on that day. No, and I'm doing Quite Mass in the Pit on Sunday as well. It's funny. I was at a screening of Neon Demon, and the trailer came up for Satan's Bride yeah. uh, or The Devil's mm-hmm. Bride, should I say? Yeah. As you know, as the devil rides out. Yeah, and I, yeah. I always like marking a modern audience, and the, 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 <laughs> I get upset with that bit of snickering that goes on because yeah. it's, they're all a bit too superior to the material. Yeah, yeah, well. Which I regard as I love that film. I think it's still. I, I'm surprised no one has jumped on that for the remake bandwagon. Yeah, but, I, there may well be rights issues with that because it's a because of the novel. But um, yeah, I'm surprised too. It's, it, it's um, yeah. It, I suppose it might be slightly. T- 
came, but uh, and it would be hard to do it as a contemporary story. It's almost it, it requires to be in in 1930s period, but that's not too difficult. It's not set in a city, so it's just you know posh frocks and and cool old cars, you know, and lots of chases. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that uh, at the as I say the end of the sixties we were still getting the period horror film in a huge way and it kind of dropped off. I th- in fact I think Blood and Satan's Claw yeah, is one of the the last of the really yes, standout right. ones I can remember. Yeah. But Satanism took over a big time in the early seventies. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I remember was it I, I, I one of the, the things I think about this whole sort of folk rock horror cycles. It relates to folk rock and there was also mm-hmm. a kind of satanic rock as well wasn't there? Yeah, the sort of Rolling Stones and, Oh you know, god, uh, it, was, it was everywhere uh, yeah, playing albums think, backwards Yeah, that's a, and I think that is what sort of drove that, and it probably starts when the Beatles put Alistair Crowley on the Sgt. Pepper cover, you know it's like um, it was, there was an obvious appeal to the, yeah, I suppose not even Satanism, but to the lifestyle of Aleister Crowley. Yes, uh, yes. Not his beliefs, the way he lived. <laughs> and I think that um, was reflected by the way, you know, rock stars lived, and indeed still do. Um, and I think that the way that sort of, yeah, fed it, and it, and it is very much of a, yeah, that, that vision of devil worship is very much about performance and ritual and, and sort of strutting around in purple robes. Yes, and, and, and lots of sex. Yeah, sex, goats, you know, <laughs> drugs. You know, so wasn't Rishi Blackmore kind of, one of the biggest uh, Aleister Crowley fans yeah. from Led Zeppelin? I think he went and bought Aleister Crowley's home or one of his homes. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, what, what is the equivalent, do you think, today that kind of stands out there as an interesting kind of subgenre of horror for you? Well, weirdly, I've been seeing a lot of films recently that seem to be obsessed with recreating the, the horror style of the, the early 70s. I think we're, we're going in for a slight retro movement at the moment, and that may well be a reaction to the last couple of big waves of horror were things like torture porn or uh, found footage, which were all very aggressively contemporary. Yes. Um, the particular, you know, they were about contemporary issues and they were newish modes of storytelling. And I mean, I'm at the moment going through looking at all the stuff that's in Fright Fest and Fantasia this year. Yeah. And I've run across quite a few films which are just trying to be stylish and go back to a, a kind of, I think, more colourful mode of, mm. um, of horror. Um, because what I associate 21st century horror with is something like Hostel, you know, which is you know, gruesome, but it's also very dark and grainy and there's no, not much vibrancy to it and it's depressed people being horrible to each <laughs> other and, and just sort of grinding misery and cruelty <laughs> and you see that you, and, and, there are, there are, and there are many you know, really strong good films in, in that mode but it, recently I've started seeing more horror films which seem to be concerned with enjoying things a bit yeah, yeah I know what you mean I mean Neon Demon is another recent film that, that looks to 1970s 
yes. uh, in, in order to uh, bring a, a fantastical element back into genre. And actually, I welcome that because um, apart from anything else, if you specialise in horror, that means watching a whole lot of films that are all rather similar in tone. And spending a weekend watching Chained Up in the Basement and Tortured films <laughs> is nobody's idea of a good time, you know? Yeah, as I think someone said, just because you're creating horror doesn't mean you have to be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, but it's interesting what you say. I mean, one of the standout films for me of that, of that sub-genre, if you want to call it, was It Follows. Oh, yes, I love that. And uh, I can't remember the filmmaker's name, forgive me. Uh, he did the, the Devil's House or House of the Devil. Uh, Ty West, yeah, I like. Uh, Ty West is really interesting. Even when he might, might, well, beautiful again. He loves that languorous pace. That yeah, is not everyone's cup of tea. I personally like it, but yeah, I do too. I, and I think it's a reaction to that sort of um, you know fast cutting MTV style that was around for a while. The horror film is action rather than atmosphere. Um, if you look at I don't know films like the Underworld films mm. or Blade. Well, I'm not even sure if they're actual horror films. They're much more action movies with monsters. I think so. Um, I think so. I agree I'm with you. Going, I'm going to a style of... You know, I know Ty West calls his company Slow Burn, doesn't he? Which is, is like, yeah. And I do get the, you know, the, the criticism of, of those films. I've heard it from some people. Is that you know, nothing happens. It's just people wandering around in the dark and all that. Um, but I don't know. I, I find... Sometimes that's really satisfying. Yeah, I agree. I, I saw a lovely one there recently called uh, We're Still Here, I think it was called. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that too. Larry Fessenden, who plays yes. the, the, the older guy in that, who's also a director, um, I think is a really interesting character. And he's made some... He's uh, superb. I love his Wendigo movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting you say that the, 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 we have the mainstream, as you say, that has sucked up an awful lot of the, the joy of its so-called exploitation filmmaker I don't like using that term because as you say there's more to it going on yeah, uh, yeah, no, but it still exists on more on DVD than anywhere else yeah, like, no, because obviously I watch all that direct to DVD stuff and the stuff that premieres on uh, you know, cable television mm. there are still people turning out you know, average monster movies and slasher films and ghost stories and, all that. and I think that part of the point of of having a genre is that there has to be a kind of mid-list you know, uh, and there has to be a load of films out there and it's it's almost like uh, <laughs> I'd say it's like going to church isn't it you hear the same <laughs> sermon every week or the same ritual every time but it's important the repetition is important repetition with slight variance and I think that's why it's almost like, like if you're a horror fan you're willing to watch 50 slasher movies which are, in terms of synopsis, virtually identical. And that just makes you look at the tiny variations and the, and the tiny little things. And almost every, every movie has some innovation, something in it you've not seen before. Yeah, uh, so even slasher movies sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just I, I didn't see a, a, a new glut of uh, Satanists in the community movies. We haven't seen those in such a long time. <laughs> yeah. Movie, not actually set in the 70s, but with a very 70s style. 
well, so that's another one. Um, there was a TV serial this year called Midwinter of the Spirit, which was very Dennis Wheatley-ish. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, uh, high-placed witches being evil in a small town. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, it never goes away. Yeah, it all comes around in some form, but I, I, yeah. there's something about that wonderful mood of the, of the 60s and 70s. I don't know why it is. Maybe it's my age, but it, it kind of stays with you. Yeah, I get that as well. Yeah, that, that, uh, but even with um, uh, Quite a Mass of the Pit, I still find that wonderfully kind of radical for its time. Of The melding of science fiction and horror was a bit ahead of its time. I think that, that, that that's because Nigel Neal was a real unusual talent. Um, and and certainly sort of visionary in terms of the of, yeah his imagination and the and the sheer number of ideas that film gets through. Mm. Um, I, I think yeah that's uh, it was unusual then and it's more unusual now. I I think so as you say a one of a kind and and not a guy totally in love with the genre he was working in. Interestingly enough. No. I I watched um I I've I watched the stone tape with you chatting with Nigel there a while ago. It was really good. I really loved it. By the way, it's as good with the commentary as it is on its own. Yeah, well, no, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. And uh, I was remember him being given out about um season of the witch, which I actually yeah. I'm I'm fond of that film. I think it's a lot of nice yeah, little bits well. about it, that film. And it was interesting how close it was to sort of some of the ideas that were in the stone tape. I mean, I think even Season of the Witch has lots of ideas in it. Um, I think his problem was more to do with the acting style and yeah. um, uh, maybe the pacing of it as well. But again, I, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I get the impression, I'm not even sure if he actually saw the finished film. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't yeah, be surprised. And, <laughs> and, and also, I understand this from, have, from um, yeah, I... Magazines I've been published in that I flicked through and put in a box and hid. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like you're, you're not responsible once it's off your desk for what other people do with it. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, you're sometimes you know if you don't like it, there's no reason to beat yourself up about it and watch it over and over again. You know. <laughs> yeah, um, he'd, he'd been, but it, that that would have fitted nicely into this uh, haunted landscape season, I think. Yes. Kim, but there's an enormous amount of stuff there. I, I, I'm not entirely privy to how they went through the selection process. And a lot of it's to do with what you can get prints of um, and the rights deals or whatever. So I don't know what was on the long list that didn't make the, the final screening cut. Well, it's kind of interesting because the only film that's actually getting screened in 35mm, from what I can see, is uh, Valerie and Her Week of Wonders. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about what, what your your discovery of that, because I mean, that, did that even do the rounds back in the seventies? Point. I I saw that at university, ah. um, and I assume it was around on art houses or whatever. It must have played the Scala and the NFT and that. I I doubt if it had, in Britain, in particular, it came out at a time when Eastern European cinema wasn't particularly cool. Um, and so even the you know the art house people weren't pushing uh, those movies much. 
and it's such a strange film. Uh, I, it's, and, and the thing that it reminds me a little of the, the Company of Wolves, but of course it's earlier, so it's, it's almost yes. like it's, it's, it's for vampires what the Company of Wolves is for werewolves. Yeah, uh. It's certainly the most unusual, I think, of all the films, other than, say, Quite a Mass in the Pit. <laughs> Definitely, and it'll be lovely to see it on the big screen. Mm, yes. Well, listen, thank you so much for talking. I'm sorry I'm not going to be okay, able to right. say hello at the weekend because I'm actually going to yep. miss the first weekend of films. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, yeah. But uh, a great pleasure talking to you. Enjoy your whistle-stop tour of yes, uh, the yes, IFI. I imagine all I'm going to do is see the inside of the IFI, the inside of a hotel, and maybe a restaurant or a pub, but uh, it'll be good anyway. Well, you're in Temple Bar, so there's plenty of pubs. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much. Okay. Talk bye. to you again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a good time. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.